Were all of you here Sunday hear the message on the brain? Or if not, you can grab it online. But it's really interesting because I, um, I've heard about her for a while, and I got her book a while back, started reading it, and then didn't finish it. You know, you, anybody have books like that? All right. So, um, so they have this, uh, she has this thing called a 21-day brain detox. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to give it a shot, see what it's like. It's cost like 30 bucks, you know. So it's all online. So I go online the first day, and basically what it does is it takes you through five, there's a little video, about a two-minute video. I should get a commission on this thing if you buy it. Because this really does have to do with experiencing God. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not off topic at all here. So, um, so what I did, um, it, day one, you watch a little video, and then um, it'll say like, um, capture, just write down, capture uh, what, what's going in your head right now. What are your dominant thoughts right now? So let's just say your dominant thought was, you know, um, I'm not happy, or I'm mad at somebody, or, you know, I feel uh, unworthy. Whatever, whatever a toxic thought might be, just kind of capture those, kind of gather them. She said, don't take more than two minutes to do it. So because she wants you to get kind of active stuff on there, okay? And then she just kind of takes you through some different things where you just kind of say, okay, let me process that. Now let me journal down, you know, why do I feel that way? Just kind of basic nuts and bolts kind of stuff. Now I want you to take those and start handing those over to God. Okay, and ask him to fill your mind with, and then she'll give you scripture, fill your mind with those things that are good and wholesome or whatever else, right? And then they have a thing called an active response. Active response would be like, what am I going to, when those dominant thoughts come into my brain, what am I going to do as an active response toward them? And it can be different every day. It could be like a scripture. Well, I'm going to quote Romans 12 and verse 2. Um, one day it was kind of like I had this little, uh, little chorus in my head, you know, like just a chorus about renewing my mind and, and it kind of, you know, I mean, it's not a song, I'm not a songwriter, but for me, it was kind of like that little chorus that I could sit over and say, do that about seven times during the day, you know, but don't take more than two, three minutes to do it. I mean, seriously, everything is like really, really short and quick. So I, I wanted to do it more to see if it actually worked because I thought, you know, I know how to do this stuff, right? I mean, I can... I've had a messed up brain for a long time. I surely I better get cleaned out by now, right? So, so what I did was I just said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to systematically, every day I'm going to do this. And I'm going to see the difference. Um, by the second day, I thought, I, I know this is hard to believe. It almost feels like my brain's working better and easier, literally. And I thought, ah, it's fluke, you know. Third day, I go, oh, wow, you know. And you could just, I felt like a weight off. I felt like clarity. And, and then in there, then you go to like, I think in day three, she says, this is probably what you're going to be experiencing or feeling right now. And I'm going, that's exactly what I'm feeling experiencing right now. And she says, and then she explains medically why that's happening. And she takes all this from the word of God by saying stuff like, you know, your brain was not designed for toxic thoughts. But all day long, you're bombarded or you've got a history of stuff that, you know, you're just trying to process through. So she says you really want to identify one toxic thought, not 20 of them. So you're going to say, what's the dominant one I want to deal with now? And I'm going to take 21 days and deal with that toxic thought. And if you want to, you, you know, you can divide that up. You can do multiple 21 days. She says it takes 21 days, okay, according to brain research, for that toxic thought to be out of your brain and for you not be affected by it. So I'm on day four, and I'm going, this is, this is totally 
rocking my world. It really is. So, you know, you might want to check it out. I did not finish reading the book, so it may be helpful to read the book. I would think it would be. Um, it's called, um, yeah, and actually I think this is based on who switched on my brain, her next book. Yeah, I think the toxic thing is built, I, but I'm, I think, okay? But either way, if you go to Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I think is her website, .com maybe. But her first book, you're right, who switched off my brain, and, and it may be based on that one. But the only reason I said that is because the second one's green, and this is all green-themed, and maybe there's something different. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she slowed down, by the way. She slowed down. She slowed down and moved to Texas. No, she literally lives in Dallas, Texas now. Um, and she goes to Gateway Church there. So she's, but I've noticed the pace at which she talked. If you look at some of the older videos, it's like. But somebody sat her down and said, nobody can follow you at that rate of speed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think, and, and the reason why I say it really is related to what we're talking about in experiencing God, because, I mean, the title alone ought to motivate us, right? I want to experience God. How, what's keeping me from experiencing God? And then he kind of takes you through some of the things that might be because I'm asking God to bless me in something instead of finding out what God's up to and joining him. It might be that, you know, I can't focus on God because I've got all these toxic thoughts going on, you know, in my head. I think we've all kind of been plagued one way or another by that, you know, and you kind of keep reliving and replaying stuff in your head. And even when you're trying to do this really good thing like pray, read the Word of God or whatever, the toxic thoughts spin it in your head. So I just think it's, uh, it's a great tool to kind of use in that, in that process, okay? Well, hey, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started tonight, okay? Father, we want to thank you that we can come together and we can uh, experience you. We can really taste of your goodness. We can taste of your kindness. And you can lead us and guide us in this whole process. So we give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's uh, kind of get this started. Just, let's just turn back. I, I like to review this uh, each time we do this. If you go to the back of the book, back inside cover, uh, I want to take you through these, these seven different steps, if you will. Uh, about God's work and, and how God speaks, and then this crisis of belief. And then last week we talked a little about, a, about adjusting our life, and now we're going to start talking a little bit about obedience. Um, I, want you to, I want you to think about this. Have you ever had this experience? You're talking to someone, um, they're not a Christian, and you have this little impulse, this little sense from God. The Spirit of God speaks to you, nudges you somehow, and says you should talk to them about Christ. Anybody ever had that experience? Okay, would, okay to some degree? Okay. Um, and then let me, just, let me just go to the negative, okay? But how many times have you had that happen where you thought this is not a convenient time or what will they think? Or I don't know how to begin the conversation, and therefore you did not do it. Anybody have that experience? I mean, I have had that experience. Okay. And it could be not about Christ. It could be about anything. It could be like you should, you know, I remember one time uh, when we were first married, I liter we literally had $20 in my pocket. That's all the money I had. 
And we were passing this little church in South Louisiana and just as, about as poor as anybody can humanly get. And if you've heard this story, I apologize, but it, it, it really fits in well with this. We were going to take our students to Texas for this, this trip to Torchbearers. I don't know if you've ever heard of Torchbearers International. We are going to take them there. And I had a grass credit card, so I knew I could put gas on there. And all I had was that $20. That $20 was going to be all my spending money that I needed between there and back. Once I got there, I was good. So I was going to have to buy basically lunch and dinner for Tammy and I. And I went to this, uh, this revival, this crusade at this church, and the guy got up there at the end, and it, it was a great sermon and a great message, and I'm sitting there, and I'm a young, impressionable guy just married with 20 bucks in his pocket. And the guy, the pastor got up, and he started talking about how great the sermon was, and I agreed. You know, and the longer he talked, the more I felt like, you know, about giving. You, you're going to give a love offering at the end. And the more he talked about giving a love offering, the more I felt like I should give him a love offering. But I only had a $20 bill, and I knew it was not a good time to get change. You know, it's not like you hold up the 20. Anybody got change for a 20? I'd like to give him five. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've got more than $20 in there. And I'm sitting, and Tammy's like here, and I'm here, and she knows we only have $20. And so I reach in, and, and I got my wallet out, and I looked in there, and there was a $20 bill. And she looked over at me like, seriously? She knew we only had $20. And I'm thinking, yeah, really? And so I folded my wallet back up. I put it back in my pocket. Okay, and then the guy kept going on about the offering. You ever had heard preachers do that? They just keep going on and on and on, right? Seriously, dude, I'm not going to give. And uh, so then I pulled my wallet back out, and I looked at it again, and I pulled it out halfway. And Tammy looked over at me like, "Really?" And and I'm doing really too. I'm just I'm just fighting right now. Like, do I give this twenty? Do I not give this twenty? And and I'm just feeling like God wants me to give this twenty dollar bill. That's how I'm feeling. But I don't want to give the twenty dollar bill for a lot of reasons. Mainly, I'll only have one of them, okay? What I was really fighting with was, can I trust God somehow for that trip to Texas and back from Louisiana without the $20 bill? That's really what I was fighting with. It was really all about, is God going to provide for me or is that $20 bill going to provide for me? That's, that was, I think, the root issue. And finally, I'm sitting there, and here comes the plate. You know, have you ever... Have you ever Dreaded the plate coming. Here comes the plate. You know, the plate's coming. Like, here comes the judge. Here comes the plate. Oh, no. Right? And it goes to, to this, whoever's there, goes to Tammy. She hands me the plate. I got the $20 bill in my hand, and I thought, I'm going for it. I threw the $20 bill, and I handed it to the guy really quick before I took it back. We walked out the car. She says, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. I guess we're going to really trust God because we don't have that $20 bill, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to give it back. So that night we went home, and uh, we prayed, you know, said, hey, God, you know, we gave the $20 bill, you know, and, and some of us, part of us, I think the discussion that I remember, was that foolish? Was that not exercising wisdom, right? I mean, haven't we had those kind of discussions with ourselves? I mean, God gave me the $20 bill for that purpose, and I gave it to some guy because he preached a great sermon. Or did I give it because God prompted me to? Was the issue trusting him, not trusting him? Because ultimately what was going to happen in this, this thing was going to be I was going to experience God. I was going to experience God through this process. That was more important than having the 20, not having the 20. So the next day, um, I'm out, I'm packing up the car, and there's this old guy in our church, which I love. You've probably heard a lot of stories about him. His name is Ansel Carruth. 
And Ansel came walking over, and, and he was one of these guys that was, uh, he was actually, in those days, they called it manic depression. Now they call it bipolar. And Ansel could be as high as the Empire State Building and so low that he couldn't leave his house. When he was high, you better look out because there was nobody in Louisiana that wasn't going to get saved because he was the great soul winner, you know. And then, then, But anyway, he came up, and he was in a pretty good mood, and he says, Preacher, you excited about going to camp? I said, I sure am, Ansel. Got everything you need? You know, and have you ever, you ever been in a, in a situation where you just wanted to kind of hint around and kind of tell the guy that you gave $20? <laughs> you know, and I thought, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I want to so bad because I'm sure he's got $20. And so uh, I said, yeah, we're all set up to go, and, and everything's good. The kids are all fired up. Tammy's good, and we're, we're just excited. We're ready to go. And he said, well, he said, you know, I was praying this morning. He said, and uh, um, I was going over to see somebody. I can't remember who it was. I'm going over to see somebody, and I started telling him about you're going on this trip. And the guy said, well, that, has that preacher got any money? I mean, I know you don't pay him much. And uh, I said, well, yeah, he says he's, he's in good shape. And he said, the guy gave me a $100 bill and told me to give it to you for your trip. So I'm giving it to you. Reach in his pocket and handed me a $100 bill. I never told him about the $20. Now, what was the most significant thing that happened in that story? Just shout it out. What do you think? Huh? God came through. I obeyed. Anything else? I experienced God. Yeah, and you know what? Everything, obedience came down to one thing, didn't it? A decision. A decision. All the emotional stuff that went with that was just, was, was kind of the side note. It really came down, I had to make a decision in order to see God do something. Because I don't think God would have been upset with me, mad with me, punished me, made my car go in the ditch had I not given the $20 bill. I really don't. But I would have missed out on an experience with God, wouldn't I? And you know, that, that always, I mean, I'm still telling the story. So that and similar kinds of stories we retell like the story, you know, in the Bible where, you know, God provides and comes through at the last minute and he says these are things meant to guide you and lead you. So you always go back and say, you know, if God could do that then, could he not do something like that now? And so our faith, I believe, has, is like stair steps. And if we take the first step, it allows us the confidence to say, well, I only have to take another step to go to a higher level. But if I'm down here at the bottom of the staircase and I'm looking up at a flight of 18 steps, it looks impossible for me to hit that top one. But if I can say, you know what, let me take the step that God puts in front of me today and see what that does, see if I can get through there, then God can get me to the next step. And it could be something related to, you know, something as simple as a $20 bill. It could be something far more complicated. But I really think as, as I look back on my life, and I think most of us would say a similar thing, that, that anything we've learned have always been through those difficult decisions where you had to trust him and you, maybe you didn't even want to. Maybe you didn't have the right attitude, right? Um, you know, I still like to write a check even though I, I do. I've got kind of a combo because I, I like the consistency. Part of my giving is online and part of my giving I like to. I still like to write the check and here's why. I like the struggle. If I do it online, it automatically comes out, 
you know, I kind of go, oh, yeah, that came out. But I like the struggle when I take a little check and I write it out and I think about, dang, what could I do with that money? And God's going, well, go ahead and do it. No, I don't want to, God. I want to trust you. I want to obey you. I want to love you. You know, that kind of stuff. So some of it is the mechanical piece of it I do intentionally because online's simple. And I mean, I only write three checks a month. I write one check to the church. I write one check to the guy that's my gardener. And I write one check. Well, it's not even every month, but um, some ladies come and clean our house about every two months. So I write, I write like two and a half checks a month and everything else is online. But the one I don't want to give up, and I know it's going to come a day when we have to, we won't get to write checks anymore, but is that one because of that struggle. And part of that is in the area of giving for me and that check writing thing is part of me is my parents were not Christians when I was growing up, but we went to church, you know, kind of when it was convenient. But every time we went to church, my dad would always do two things. He would always polish his shoes. That's when they polish shoes. And secondly, what he would do is he would always write out a check and he would put it right on the counter so he wouldn't forget it in the morning. And he would always take it. If he was going to church, he was going to pay for the show. That was kind of what he said. I'm paying for the show. You're right? I said, well, Dad, if you don't go, so I'm not seeing the show, I'm not paying for the show. You know? And that was just the way he talked. And it was kind of, but he was very disciplined in that area. So I still see myself, that was a learning. You know, my dad was teaching me something about going to church. This stuck with me a little bit. And then I got to make, understand more. And then later in life, my dad would actually come to faith in Christ. But um, anyway, so we're going to talk a little bit tonight about obedience. I think that's a pretty good example of it. Um, for me, it was, uh, it was a, you know, it does, $20 um, sounds like a lot of money when you don't have it or when it's all you have. So for you, it might be 20 It might, for you, somebody else might be 200 but but it's all about experiencing God and coming to God through that, that act of obedience. Okay? So, let's take our Bibles and go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I kind of went through this lesson, and I, 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 I'm still, I love this book. I love the principles of this book. It still frust- frustrates me because we picked it for you, and uh, you can't just kind of like go through it and sweep through it and kind of get it all in one chapter, but you've got to kind of, and I know a lot of you aren't filling in the blanks, right? Just be honest. Fill in the blanks. You're not doing it. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, if I ask you tonight, do you love Jesus, what would you say? I'd say yes. I think without even batting an eye, I would say yes. And then he says this, keep my commandments. So how do I prove that I love God? I keep his commandments. And what were the commandments of Jesus? Because he didn't say keep the Ten Commandments. He said keep my commandments. What were his commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one is like unto it is what? Love your neighbors yourself. Okay, did you ever think that every sin that we'll ever commit violates um, those two things? There's not one sin you can ever think of that doesn't. Anything I do, it's because I fail to love God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, or love my neighbor as I love myself. Everything. So he, he boiled this all down so simple for us. He said, if you will just constantly remind yourself. I was, um, I was trying to merge on um, to get on, and, and some guy wouldn't let me over. You ever had that experience? I mean, I'm thinking, seriously, dude? Seriously. You're not going to let me over. And my first response is what? 
push him over. I could have knocked him over. Yeah, what else? What's your first response? What's your, what goes through you when that happens to you? Anger, mad, why don't you do it? It's not fair. You know, can I, I'm going to weasel in front of you if I can, right? And I'm just sitting there seriously, you know, and I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, brother. So I took the more noble path, and I sped up, got four cars in front of him, and then felt totally justified because why? I'm four cars in front of him, so now what have I done? What have I created in me? Huh? Pride, okay. What else? Say that again, I did. Revenge, okay, yeah, maybe a little revenge in there. I'll fix you, I'll get, you know, you can't beat me at what I'm doing here. What did it do to me in terms of my experience with God? Did it help it or hinder it? Probably hinder it, right? Okay, and as always happens, this has always happened. So I get up there, and I have this moment feeling of, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Look at me. You're way back there. I'm up here, right? I had that feeling. I had that very human, natural feeling, right? So you know that ramp has the two lanes that go up, right? So I'm going up in the outer uh, lane there, and there's less cars there. There's one less car there, and I get up there, and who, pull, who gets up right over here on my right side? The guy, okay? I'm ahead of him. I'm still one car ahead of you. The game, the race is still on. So I get out there and I try to get over the left lane because I want to make sure I don't get trapped up and buckled up and all that. And so I get over into the middle lane. I mean, this, is, this whole scenario has only taken like two minutes, you realize. But I can, I can drag this story on for weeks. So I get out there. And as I'm driving along, I'm just driving along. You know, I'm justified. I'm, I'm doing 65, doing the speed limit, going along. And who toodles up next to me? He does. And the Spirit of God says to me, why do you try to get ahead? Why do you try to get ahead? And the emphasis was on you. Why do you try to get ahead? Because I had another option. The other option was I could have slowed way down, got behind the guy in the first place, and that would have been an act of not like trying to get ahead, but an act of humility, would it not? So I think if we can take everyday life and we can say, how do we take and put this into our everyday life, this experiencing God, I think it can be very powerful for us. So now go on to verse uh, 16. And, and he's, remember, he just says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Isn't it interesting that those two things fall together? Because he's, he's trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell you, you cannot keep my commandments without the Spirit. Because you'll try to keep them in your flesh. You'll try to keep them in your mind. You won't try to keep them in the Spirit man. So he says, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So when you look at this, what's he trying to tell you? He's trying to tell you that you don't have the comfort of the Holy Spirit in you yet, but he's going to come, and he's going to be with you, in you, for how long? Forever. For the Spirit of truth, now look what it says, verse 17, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. 
Okay, now if we were if we were kind of looking at this whole experience, and this has everything to do with the commandments, because the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament were given for what purpose? Shout out if you've got an idea. Okay, can't do it on your own. Yeah, you know what you know what the Ten Commandments are. Think of the Ten Commandments like a mirror. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Yourself. Yourself. Ten Commandments, when you look at the Ten Commandments, you see, oh, there's where I failed. The whole purpose of the Ten Commandments was to reveal that we had a sin problem. No one was ever saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. Why? Because they weren't made for that purpose. All it did was by the time you got done reading them, you knew you'd violated at least one of them. So if you think about it, I'll try to use my board wisely here tonight because we're not going to be able to erase it. If you think about it, here's the Old Testament. Here comes the cross, right? And Christ ascends, and he sends the Holy Spirit. Okay? So back here, I've got this, the Ten Commandments here. And they're, what all they're doing is they're showing me that I'm a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God. Now I have to, I have to come to God the same way that I come to him today, and that is the mercy of God. God has to forgive me in grace and mercy, right? So they're going along, and they're going, hey, they're probably thinking to themselves, you know, we've tried this, Jesus, but this doesn't work. And he says to them then in this, in this chapter, in this verse, if you love me, keep my commandments, verse 15. And then he transitions what seems like it's an odd transition, and I will pray to the Father. He will give you another helper that he may be abide with you by with you forever so notice he calls the the holy spirit another helper another helper so jesus was their helper on earth right but he uses an interesting word here he used if you want to just jot it down it's kind of an important i'll give you a little greek lesson here the word another there is the greek word alos a-l-l-o-s alos alos means another of exactly the same kind cannot be distinguished in terms of nature. The other word uh, that they use for another is the word heteros. And it's spelled H-E-T-E-R-O-S, heteros. It's where we get our word heterosexual, right? Heterosexual is somebody of a different kind, right? Alas is another of exactly the same kind in nature and character. So what he's saying is he's telling you, he's revealing to you that this is God, a very God who's going to be, who's with you now. So imagine like he could say, hey, I can walk alongside of you now, disciples, but there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit of God is going to come live inside of you. And by the way, he's, he's just like me in nature. So what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes here in this, in this moment in time, he's saying, look what he's going to do. He's going to abide with you until you sin. Is that what it says? Look at verse 16. What's it say? Forever. And what kind of spirit is he? The spirit of what? Truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it not, does not see him or know him, but you know him for he dwells with you now. Holy Spirit was with them, right? Holy Spirit's always been with man. Genesis chapter 1, Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right? But he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay? Go over to chapter 14, verse 25. 
These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the world will, uh, uh, um, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He's going to teach you all things. How do you understand Scripture? By the Holy Spirit. Now, what I can do is I can take you through something, I can speak to you, and your mind will take that, but the Holy Spirit of God is who's going to apply it to your heart. He's going to really teach it. He's going to bring realization to what that means. He's going to teach you all things, and he's going to bring to your remembrance all things that I have spoken unto you. Okay, pretty good thing, right? Now go over with me one more, chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he... The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will, not glor- he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it unto you. Do you see the role of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit never glorifies himself. He always glorifies Jesus. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's also going to bring to your remembrance. He's going to take everything that the Father's going to give to the Son, the Son's going to give to the Spirit, the Spirit's going to give to you. Now, that may not make, that may not make sense to you, and it may not make sense to me, but neither does this. Okay. Okay, let me just stop. Questions? You got any thoughts on, on Holy Spirit and this, this whole dispensation here, this age of of his coming in terms of how he, he comes in us. Any thoughts? All makes sense? Everybody, it's all, everybody clear on that one? Okay? All right. Something like that happened once before to me. Okay. Let's, let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy. That sounded like it. Okay, Deuteronomy 28. Let's look at verse 1. Okay, it says here in, in 28.1, it says, Now it will come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord will set you high above all nations of the earth. So this is a promise to Israel, right? And what was its conditional? What's the one condition on this promise? Obey. What's the promise? Blessing. What kind of Blessing. that you're going to be above all nations. In other words, he was giving Israel the opportunity to rule over all nations. Israel was going to be the king of the earth. But you, it was based on a condition. And the condition was, here in Deuteronomy 28.1, that if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments, then God will what? Set you above all the nations of the earth. 
And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, interesting terminology here. Look what it says. It says, all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. You ever been overtaken? You ever been running a race and somebody overtakes you, they pass you up? And here's the idea of the promises of God. The promise of God is you're walking along in obedience to God. God's, you know, and you're saying, I'm going to do what God says, do what God says, do what God says. And all of a sudden you're going, wow, I didn't expect that. I'm overtaken by God. And I'm propelled into his blessings. So it's not like you go, okay, I just obeyed God. God, where are you? Huh, 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 God, where are you? No, it's the idea that you just keep walking in faithfulness before God, and all of a sudden, God is like overtaking you. You know, it's kind of like when you, you read that scripture where it talks about the, the sower will overtake the reaper. Okay, imagine here's this guy out here, and he's got a plow, and he's, he's plowing along, and all of a sudden, man, you know, it's just there's so much productivity here. Man, the reaper's come along. He's, oh, the, the plower's just going, I'm going too fast. You're not reaping fast enough because the, the blessings are coming so fast. Can you move any quicker because the blessings are coming, the blessings are coming, the blessings are coming? And I think too often when we, when we try to walk with God, we're doing this. Come on, God, we... We got a little something coming here. Got a little something coming here. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? God just says, no, just, you just do what I tell you to do, and you're going to be in great shape. Look at verse 8. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Verse um Look at verse 11. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, the land uh, which the Lord uh, swore to your fathers to give unto you. The Lord will open, verse 12, to you the good treasure of the heavens to give you rain in your land in its season to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend uh, many to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, you shall be above, uh, be above only and not beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So God ties so much of what he does to obedience, and I think we make obedience too hard. I, you ever kind of made this comment like you, you, you do something, you just think, ah, you know, God, I, I, I don't know why I just couldn't stand it. I had to get ahead of that guy and not going on the on-ramp. And so you make this stupid pronouncement. Ever done this one? God, I will never do that again. You ever done that? It's like a vow. I'm making the vow of never speeding, never, you know, acting bad in my car. God doesn't even want you to think that way. He wants you to think, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a short account on everything. Can you just right now confess to me where you failed? Confess means to agree. And can you try to live one day at a time? That's all I want you to do. Jesus said it like this. He said, sufficient is the evil of the day thereof. In other words, do you not have enough issues today? You're worried about tomorrow's problems? How about, how about when he talks about building something and he says, you know, why are you projecting out storehouses out there and you're going to store up all your grain from all the riches you have? He said, you fool, don't you even know today your soul is required of you? See, you can be saved and be foolish 
because you try to live in tomorrow rather than in today. That guy thought he was going to live forever, so instead of sharing his grain, he stored it up. Instead of helping other people, he stored it up. And God says, you know, you're so, you're so foolish in this process. You don't even, you don't, you're not living for today, and you're not, you assume that you are in control of your destiny, and you are not. I want you just to obey me today. Take up your cross. How often, he said, Jesus said? Daily. Oh, shouldn't I do it for a week? I mean, I'm a pretty good guy, pretty good Christian, right? Pretty good disciple. I'm going to take up my cross for a week. No, because you're going to blow it on Wednesday. You see, make, make obedience simple. I, I remember a guy told me, he said, man, I just have such a hard time. I just, I can't hardly even go a whole week without really messing up big time. And I said, well, let me ask you something. For Is it possible for you for the next 30 seconds to not sin? Not disobey God? Yeah, I think I could do that. Why can you do it? What do you think? Shout it out. What do you th- why do you think a guy can not sin or not disobey God for 30 seconds? There's not a wrong answer here, really. If there is, we won't, we'll ignore you. Okay, it's, you make a decision because it's a short little increment. Anything else? Simple. simple. That sounds simple, right? It's kind of like, you know, I can do that. Okay, why not live your life in 30-second increments until you learn how to live them in one-minute increments? See, what I do is I forget. I get away from that principle. I'm not, hey, I'm not telling you here I'm the, the standard. I am not the standard. But I, it, it kind of makes logical sense. God, do you think I, if I could just try to obey you between now and the end of this class, if I could just try to obey you from the time I leave this class till I get home, if I could try to obey you from the time I get home to the time I go to sleep, if I could start living my life in smaller increments, kind of like, you know, link sausage, right, instead of a garden hose, if I could do that, would that not be easier for me to do? And you say, well, it's a lot to remember. Well, yeah, but the other way is a lot to confess. So I think what we do is we try to learn this process of, of taking things in a little bit smaller piece, making obedience a little bit simpler versus harder. But what if I attach to it a blessing? Israel heard this blessing. They said, here's what the blessing is going to be. You're going to be king of the earth. You're going to be the nation that rules the entire planet. Everything you touch is going to bless you. You're going to have so many blessings that all you're going to do is lend money to other people because they don't know me. You're never going to borrow money. You're never going to have a national debt. You're never going to be the tail. You're always going to be the head. And yet, nah, I don't think so. Why would I do that? Because I can live my life for myself. And isn't that the root of all of our issues? Isn't that the human factor? We were talking the other day about, um, I was talking to Chance Deed, if you know Chance. He's the guy that looks like Jesus. Um, he really does, um, even more so now. Um, but uh, I said, you, you think God ever just kind of says, dang, I wish, wish I wouldn't have done that whole rainbow thing and never flood the world? Because the human factor. You know, it just cleaned up. The, you know, after fresh rain, fresh rain, everything's clean. You know, the sidewalks are clean. Everything's clean. You know, if I destroy them with fire and brimstone, i got to clean that mess up. You know, the water thing was a good move. I almost think that covenant was for him. Not for us. I think it was a covenant for him to keep himself, to say, you know what? I need to take a different approach. 
Not that he failed, not that he did wrong. But I got to take a different approach. So I'm going to put a covenant in the sky. And every time I see the rainbow, that's what it says. Every time I see the rainbow, I'm going to be reminded of my covenant that I made with mankind. So simple obedience. Let's go to, um, let's go down to verse 15. Verse 15, okay? But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and all of his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Ooh. So if I'm going, if this way represents going with God, what happens? There, what are, what's happening? Watch me. Watch me. What's happening? I'm going with God. What's he doing? He's overtaking me. Oh, now I'm walking away from God. What's, what's happening? Man, the bad stuff's overtaking me too. I'm going, dang, why do I keep doing this? There's a Greek word. It's the word for repentance. It's the word metanoia. Okay? Just remember, sin annoys you. All right? Metanoia. Metanoia means you're going this way. You stop, you make a decision, and you go this way. That's metanoia. I go in the, ac- the opposite direction. So he says, if you don't do that, they're going to overtake you. Verse 16, cursed uh, shall be you in the city. Cursed shall be you in the country. Cursed shall be in the, your basket and in your kneading bowl. Cursed you, and, you know, he's going on all these things. Going, well, I don't want any of that. He goes through everything. He goes through economics. He goes through politics. He goes through physical ailments. He goes through livestock. He goes through all this other stuff. And he says, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It's kind of like the guy that buys the new car, never changes the oil. He goes into the mechanic. You know, he says, I had it towed in because the car stopped. He goes out, really, goes into the, looks at it and pulls out the dipstick and there's no oil in the car. Why didn't you put any oil in there? Well, why would I do that? I bought it with oil. I never took any out. Well, have you seen the owner's manual? What's that? Shows him a little book, little, little uh, intervals there, changing your oil. Will you expect me to read the book? You know, we've become kind of accustomed to idiot lights on our dashboard. Everything's fine if there's nothing orange or uh, red flashing in my face. But the orange only signals something you've neglected or something that's due. The red says stop the car immediately. We got a book. God says, read the book. And I'm going to show you this whole principle of obedience. And we, uh, we don't learn great lessons from that, I don't think, do we? Um, let's go over to page 187 in your workbook, if we can. Um, look at the summary statements on the right-hand column there, okay? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun here and uh, let everybody kind of read one of those. Okay. So I'm just going to walk around, and everybody got a book. Okay. Just uh, read one of those statements, Dan. Obedience is doing what is commanded. Okay. Pretty simple, right? Okay. Got the next one. Who's ready here? I should obey what I already know to be God's will. So all I have to really do is obey what I already know God's will to be. I don't even have to find new stuff. Is there not enough stuff already in there that I already know? Okay, got the third one? When God sees that I am faithful and obedient in a little, he will entrust me with more. With more. Okay, you don't have the book, right? Okay. 
All right, you got it? What's the next one? God often gives second chances. I like that one. How about you guys? Is that the last one or next last one? More? Okay, who's got it? Sometimes God does not give a second chance. Who likes that one best? Nobody, right? Okay, so in that story, uh, if we go to this, this idea of affirmations and, and the way that God works, um, think, about, think about Moses. Did Moses get a second chance? Yeah, he got a second chance, right? Because what was the, what was the first time he blew it big time? Killed the Egyptian, right? Buried him in the sand. You know, and I always looked at that and I thought, man, you were like, grew up in Pharaoh's house. Couldn't you pull that one off? I mean, don't you? I mean, think, couldn't you pull that one off? I mean, seriously, just another Egyptian. But for some reason, you know, God says, you know what? Now their warrant for his arrest is out. He takes off. He goes to Egypt. and He spends 40 years in Egypt. We talked about this, I think, a couple of times ago, didn't we? Did God's could God intend for Moses to get into a tight spot to get him into Egypt so he could learn how to be a shepherd? It's an interesting way of looking at God, isn't it? Because you know how we look at God? We kind of look at God like we look at America sometimes. America is the home of the brave, the pure, the right. We always do the right thing all over the world, and all the other countries of the world hate us because we always try to do the right thing. And then a scandal comes out. Oh, you mean we were selling arms to the other side? You mean we, our CIA trained bin Laden? You mean, blah, 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 and we're going, wait a minute. Sometimes we think God, and, and, and by the way, I'm, I love America, okay? And you should too, you Canadians. Atta girl. That's why we're here. Um, in fact, uh, uh, last Sunday of the month, I'm going to be speaking uh, two different messages and two services, one on our Christian heritage as a nation, and then the next week on Ameri- uh, the next service, 1040 at American Biblical Prophecy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put off Memorial Day to the real Memorial Day, which is the 30th. Okay? Do you all know that, right? It's not Monday. It's the 30th. It's my birthday on the 30th. Okay? All right. Okay, so just any gift ideas you want to? Yeah. Okay. Okay, but we, but we approach God and we think, well, God, this is how God works. God always kind of works in this little, nice little box, and I can always predict God, and God does this. But have you ever noticed God doesn't seem to work that way? Let me give you an example. Moses is, maybe we could kind of figure out Moses, you know, he killed the guy, so God had to do something there with him. But let's take Joseph. How come every time something bad happened to Joseph, God called it the favor of God? Right? He gets thrown into the pit sold into slavery and God goes favor of God you think Joseph was saying favor of God okay then he goes down there he gets uh he gets down there gets sold into slavery goes into Potiphar's house and Potiphar's uh, wife falsely accuses him and uh and he gets thrown in jail and God goes favor of God yeah years he spent in there right and then he says to the, once he interprets the first dream, he says to him, hey, get me out of here. And he doesn't, it's delayed. And then finally he's delayed. He finally shows up and God goes, favor of God. Because God is not so concerned about your happiness as he is about your character. And God sometimes will take you down funny routes to try to help you to understand something about what it means to walk with him. And their routes you obviously don't predict, don't like, don't want. But God, God's okay with that. 
Uh, Habakkuk is one of the one of the prophets I always kind of like because he's kind of fiery prophet gets mad at God, you know, because he doesn't understand what God's up to. And I kind of I kind of like that real realness in that prophet, you know. So on one occasion he gets mad at God because Israel's sinning, they're disobeying God, and he says, uh, God says, yeah, you know, right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Assyrians in, and they're going to go ahead and bring judgment upon Israel. Then Habakkuk gets mad at God. He was mad at Israel. Now he's mad at God. He says, God, how can you take an unrighteous nation like everybody hated the Assyrians? How can you take the Assyrians like that and then punish them um, for their sin when their sin is greater or punish Israel for the, by them because their sin is greater than Israel's sin? And here's what God says, classic. He says, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. You know, if we take perspective, if I'm standing on the ground, I see things from one angle. But if I stand on that stage, I see things from another angle. If I stand on a ladder, I see things from another angle. Think about when you don't understand what's happening in your present world, you don't have perspective. If I can pull back, experience God on a little deeper level, seek his face, what I end up doing is I end up having this experience. Oh, I didn't see it from your angle, God. Now I get a better perspective on what you're up to because I didn't see it before, but now, God, I see it. And God says, you know what? If you will draw a little closer, if you experience me a little bit deeper, I can take you up higher. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, what I'd really like you to do is I'd like you to have a heavenly perspective because it says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and all rule. What happens is, you see, Paul wants us to understand something about this idea of perspective and experiencing God in that perspective, okay? Um, all right, let's take a let's take a five-minute stretch break here, and then we'll, we'll jump back into this, okay?